Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. To support the show, go to interestingtimespodcast.com. There are a whole lot of bad things that I'd like to talk about on this show. War, prisons, crazy people, crazy people who start wars, vengeful samurai, beheadings, our tragic lack of moon bases and hoverboards in 2016, all of that. And on this week's episode, I'm not going to talk about any of it. Instead, I'm going to bring you what may be the most adorable installment of Interesting Times so far. This week, thousands and thousands of cute little multicolored bath toys are going to teach humanity an important lesson about oceanography. The rubber ducky, it dates from the late 19th century, and we don't know who invented the rubber ducky, or when they invented it, but it was sometime in the late 1800s, after Western civilization in general had discovered that rubber was a thing. So it existed for a while, but the rubber ducky as we know it, that those canary yellow feathers, that bright orange beak, the big, friendly cartoon eyes... That dates from the 1940s. It was the work of an L.A. sculptor called Peter Ganine, who initially made a large pop art sculpture of a big cartoon duck. And Ganine, being an enterprising artist, decided to sell out and turn it into a bunch of toys. Because, hey, it looked like one already. The toy, based on his art, was marketed as an uncapsizable duck. So little kids could try to flip it over, and the duck would just come back up on top. Ganine's little cartoon floating toy was a hit, eventually selling over 50 million units, and an icon, the rubber ducky, was born. Ernie on Sesame Street sang the praises of the rubber ducky in the 1970s. That song was covered by Little Richard of All People, and the floating avian bath buddy cemented its place in American and world culture. Ganine's toy inspired a legion of imitators, other floating bath-time toys, like the subject of our episode today. In January of 1992, the container ship Ever Laurel departed from Hong Kong with a cargo of miscellaneous consumer goods. It was bound for Tacoma, Washington. And what was to be a routine trip across the Pacific Ocean turned rough when, on January 10th, a storm rose up, and the Pacific Ocean was suddenly very ironically named. This storm was a big one. It was big enough to toss about a vessel that weighed over 50,000 tons. This storm was big enough to pitch the Ever Laurel on its side over 50 degrees. Now, 90 degrees would mean that the boat is actually horizontal. Zero degrees would mean that the boat is upright as normal. So, imagine something that is 50,000 tons, a vehicle larger than some office buildings, suddenly leaning at greater than a 45-degree angle. When that happened, a dozen shipping containers were dislodged from this gigantic floating warehouse that knit together Hong Kong and the American West Coast. We'll never know what was in 11 of those containers, but one of them burst open. Maybe it hit another shipping container. Maybe it hit the side of the boat. Maybe, as it was sinking, pressure bursted open. We don't know. What we do know, though is that it did open, and 28,800 bath toys, known as friendly floaties, that's floaties with two E's on the end, just to be cute, I guess, bubbled to the surface. And many references to the floaties refer to the toys as rubber ducks or rubber duckies. But bright yellow duckies were only one of the four types of floating animals to go overboard from the Ever Laurel. 
also included with the duckies, were blue turtles, red beavers, and green frogs. So there was a whole gang of cute toy animals involved in the story, not just ducks. But rubber ducky is more fun to say than bath toy, and in a certain sense, rubber ducky can just be a phrase referring to any and all bath toys from a certain point of view. Also notable, the friendly floaties, they weren't actually rubber, they were plastic, just like most bath toys are today. But again, rubber ducky, it has a certain ring to it. What could have just been one more incident of cargo going overboard turned into a dramatic and adorable natural experiment about oceanography. The friendly floaties, they originally packaged in blister packs. That is, they were in plastic bubbles that were adhered to cardboard backings. However, the salty ocean water soon wore away at the cardboard and the adhesive that kept the friendly floaties in their packaging. And the ducks, the beavers, the frogs, and the turtles, they were now afloat in the Pacific Ocean. These little guys were now bobbing about the biggest bathtub on the face of the earth. What's also significant is that these 28,800 bath toys, they were watertight. Lots of rubber duckies or other rubber ducky analogs. They have that little squeaker on the bottom that allows for that distinctive noise that Sesame Street's Ernie was so into. And that allows for amusing squeaky fun times. But it also means that a bath toy can eventually fill up with water and sink. Not so with these friendly floaties, though. They were completely sealed. And their inability to make fun, squeaky noises is what kept them afloat in the watery part of the world. Most bath toys are destined to float a foot away from a human child who may or may not want bath time to be a thing. But these little guys, suddenly they floated alongside whales, dolphins, manta rays, and presumably also Cthulhu who lies sleeping. And what happened next is a testament to the chaotic nature of Earth's ocean currents. You would think that a huge group of floaty toys that all went overboard in the same place would eventually all wash ashore in the same place, right? The intuitive thing to think is that they would all kind of get caught up in the same stream and they would all be deposited en masse on a single point in Alaska or wherever. The friendly floaties, they were all deposited into a single spot in the Pacific Ocean, but they ended up all around the globe. The first reports of the floaties washing ashore came from about a year later in Sitka, Alaska, where local journalists reported hundreds of toy ducks, turtles, beavers, and frogs washing ashore, getting picked up by curious beachcombers, and played with by fun-loving sea otters. Within three years, reports of floaties also started showing up elsewhere, on the Pacific coast of North America, also South America. And we know most of this because of the work of Curtis Ebesmeyer, an oceanographer who seized upon the release of the floaties and began studying this natural experiment in oceanic currents. Ebesmeyer was able to eventually find out from the shipping company the precise time, date, location, and weather conditions when the bath toys went overboard. From there, he was able to put together a series of computer models that estimated where the floaties had probably been and where they would probably go. Most of the floaties would spin around the northern Pacific or subpolar gyre, the big circular patterns of ocean currents north of Hawaii that has, among other things, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch right in the middle of it, and some of the duckies and company would go north to Alaska in the Pacific Northwest, others would bob towards South America, 
very few to Australia, and a few would even break free of the Pacific currents and head into the Indian Ocean, but only a few. That much was all easy enough to observe and figure out, but Ebesmeyer was not able to take into account something pretty big. He was unsure about how the floaties would fare in the Arctic. Neither he nor his models had any way to predict how the little bathtime buddies would handle the unforgiving land of ice and snow and more ice. Part of Ebesmeyer's study of the floaties was going to a store, getting some floaties off the shelf, and abusing them in all the ways that he thought the Arctic might. He froze them in his kitchen freezer, unfroze them, and froze them again. He beat them with hammers. He ran them through the dishwasher again and again, and in general beat the crap out of a bunch of cute plastic animals and found that the floaties were actually pretty dang tough. Some of the ocean currents would bring the ducks, the beavers, the frogs, and the turtles up into the Arctic ice, and Ebesmeyer thought that maybe, maybe, they might actually make it through and get to the Atlantic. And they did. The toys bobbed north. They rubber-duckied their way through the Bering Strait. They bobbed through the wet part of the Arctic Ocean, and they came out the other side into the Atlantic. And plenty of actual humans have tried to do that same thing and failed. The doomed Franklin Expedition of 1845 comes immediately to mind. Those guys, those humans, they were lost forever in the unforgiving northern ice. However, a fleet of adorable bathtime friends made it through the icy waters just fine. And sure, climate change might have opened up the Arctic a bit, and some of the floaties did get frozen in an Arctic ice pack, but apparently they got better. And that's what's really significant about the floaties. Seeing how objects circulate in the Pacific, that's all well and good. But seeing how water can move from the Pacific to the Arctic to the Atlantic is even rarer and more fascinating data. So the floaties ending up in Alaska, in the Pacific Northwest, and South America, that's interesting. The floaties ending up on the Labrador coast, in Iceland, in the UK, that's even more interesting. Friendly floaties, they're still washing up on shores all around the world, and can occasionally be found by the intrepid beachcomber. The original 28,800 floaties, they are still identifiable-ish. After years of being exposed to the elements, Many of the toys, in particular the yellow ducks and the red beavers, have faded to white. Though the blue turtles and the green frogs, many of them are as blue or green as they ever were. Also, they have the words, the first years, stamped on them. So, if you see a little plastic thing on the beach, pick it up. Look for those words. Look at the coloration. It might be a floaty. You could very well find a small part of the most adorable loss of cargo ever in world history. And it's hard to find out exactly how much stuff tumbles off ships every year. Um, shipping companies, they don't like disclosing how much product they lose, obviously, or how much oceanic littering that they do. But it's not nothing. When I was reading up on this topic, the range seemed to be between 350 to 10,000 shipping containers per year. And even at the low end of that range, that's well over a shopping mall's worth of goods getting, let's say exported to Atlantis on an annual basis. And there have been a few other notable cargo spills as well. For instance, 1999, 2000, and 2002 all saw major shipments of Nike shoes go missing, and those washed-up shoes, they wound up on shores all over the world. However, Nikes, they come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and 
One shipping container might contain a whole footlocker's worth of different shoe styles. And they can be identified by their serial number, sure, but they're not as immediately visually distinctive as the friendly floaties. Unlike other washed-up consumer goods, when a floaty washes up on shore, we can know precisely when and where it came from. Now, there is a downside to this. Some of the floaties will, of course, never wash up on shore. They will eventually meet their fate, and they'll degrade into tiny plastic particles and float about in the world's oceans for eons as just this kind of plastic particulate foam. Plastic, unlike many other materials, even oil, will not get metabolized by microorganisms. So there is kind of like a pollution-y, littery downside to this, but on the other hand, cute rubber duckies, everyone! So the next time you're at the coast, assuming you have access to one, and you see a piece of driftwood washed up onto the shore, take a moment to contemplate the journey that that bit of debris must have taken to get there. Chances are it's more well-traveled than you, braving ocean currents, arctic and tropical, feeling the heat of the sun and the force of rain, floating past and with ice and algae, encountering sea creatures of one kind and another, bobbing up and down on waves, all to arrive at the beach on the edge of a continent and lay in the sand and surf beneath your feet. This show is entirely dependent upon listener support, so if you're listening and you want to show your support, go to interestingtimespodcast.com and sign up for a monthly donation. That would be excellent of you. If you want to leave me a comment, um, we do have a comment box on the website. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimeswithjoestreckert. Even better than that, go to iTunes. Give us a rating and a review. I always like hearing what you guys think of the show. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, at joestreckert, on Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.